0: Good morning. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, you'll find this passage from Exodus on page 125, Exodus 24, verses 12 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for your, for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, The cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. And our New Testament reading is, is found on page 1,524 in the Pew Bibles, and is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, "'This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him.' When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. "'Get up,' he said. "'Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The word of the Lord.
1: I want to thank those of you who were kind enough this week, if you were here last Sunday this will make sense, who sent me little Valentine's heart candies this week, and there were even some of you who customized them, and I will leave it at that, but thank you all for helping remind me last Sunday that it was indeed Valentine's Day coming up, so I was not completely in the doghouse. Friends, let's pray together. Lord, may we encounter you today. May we be lost in wonder and awe, just like those disciples who were with Jesus that day. May we be changed, O God. You alone see our hearts, as Peter reminded us in his prayer. So have your way with us, change us, lead us more deeply into love with you and with each other. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So we are about to enter the season of Lent. Hard to believe how quickly the church seasons come upon us. We celebrated Thanksgiving and then moved into Advent and then Christmas, observed Epiphany and now here we are at the end of that season of Epiphany, about to enter into Lent. And we have this gospel reading of almost cosmic proportions of Jesus being transfigured, of Moses going up and communing with God and receiving the law from him. It is a heavy, heavy Sunday as far as the weight of God that seems to rest on these scriptures and indeed even on us. So as we prepare for our 40-day journey, a journey marked by a remembrance of our mortality, of our fragility, and yet God's great and incomprehensible mercy and love, as we prepare to be people of repentance, to perhaps simplify our lives and to be reminded of the things that really matter, let's pause for a few moments and wonder Together and think through just why we have this scripture that leads us into the season of Lent. Every year, in the, at least in the Protestant liturgical calendar, that is that, that structure of, of readings that, that guide us through the year, at least for us every year, we hear the story of Jesus' transfiguration right before we move into Lent. Three of the four gospel writers, what are termed the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them record Jesus' transfiguration. It happens in each gospel somewhere around the middle of Jesus' ministry. So before the transfiguration, Jesus is teaching and healing. He's he's traveling around and meeting and encountering people. He's teaching in parables. And then after the transfiguration... The story directs us to Jerusalem. Jesus starts in earnest on his way to Jerusalem. And so the transfiguration in each gospel, each synoptic gospel, becomes a bit of a linchpin upon which the whole gospel trajectory turns. There's something that happens in this moment that afterward, the whole tenor and movement of Jesus' ministry shifts and changes as he prepares to head toward Jerusalem and of course, we know what will encounter. He will encounter there. Transfiguration in the Greek uh, actually is much closer to our word, metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. I think of um, a, a cocoon, a caterpillar who forms a cocoon and then becomes a butterfly. Have you ever seen that up close? A few years ago, my girls had these little kits where they got caterpillars and you put them in, the, in this jar with just the right sort of uh, uh, environmental conditions and pretty soon it would spin a cocoon and then over time hatch into a butterfly. And scientists will tell you that if you look at a caterpillar and then you look at a fully matured and developed butterfly, at least initially, they don't seem to bear any resemblance, do they? If you were just to see a caterpillar, if you knew nothing about this process and you saw just a caterpillar and then, a say, a beautiful monarch butterfly, would you ever believe that the butterfly came from that caterpillar? And yet, on a deep level, it still bears a resemblance, the, cat, the butterfly does, to the caterpillar. On a deep level, below the surface, it shares the biological makeup. And over time, it turns into something different, but it retains something of its previous form. And so that's a close approximation to what happens to Jesus. There's something about him that is familiar, something that looks in the form similar to the Jesus they knew prior to this moment, and yet there's something completely different and almost otherworldly and supernatural about the person who is standing before these disciples. Jesus takes a few of his closest disciples up on a mountain. And as you know, you good Bible students, you, whenever we go up to a mountain, we're ready for something spiritually significant. Jesus takes them up on a mountain. And there he's transfigured, transformed, metamorphosed in front of these disciples. Disciples, They see the perfect union of his humanity, which they've experienced all along. And here they get a glimpse of his divinity. Perfectly coming together. Humanity in its fullest, divinity in its very fullest. And Peter wants to stop. Pause. He wants to commemorate it. And it's interesting. It says he wants to build a shelter or a shrine or, or some sort of a dwelling place. Now, this story happens at the Festival of Booths, or Sukkot, which is a high Jewish holy day, still even now, where Jews remember God's faithfulness to them as they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And they would erect these temporary shelters outside and live in them for a week as a way to remember the wilderness wandering. And so a a shelter became a way of commemoration of a particular event, erecting one of these small shelters. And so that's in Peter's mind, and he wants to do that there. He wants to preserve it somehow. And just as he is getting out those words, there's a voice from the cloud which should remind us of what? Jesus' baptism. When a voice comes from the cloud saying the same thing, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And after that moment where Moses and Elijah appear there with Jesus, the the greatest of the lawgivers and the greatest of the prophets, indicating to us that this one with whom they stand, Jesus, is the one to whom they pointed all along. And then the moment passes and they go back down the mountain and Jesus and the disciples head toward Jerusalem. Well, what does this story offer us as spiritual pilgrims, wanderers at times, confused perhaps like Peter of the spiritual things that happen right in front of us? I don't know much about uh, James and John, the other disciples who were there with with Jesus, but they're quiet. Perhaps they're too in shock to say anything. Maybe you've been there. What does this story offer us in our own spiritual lives? I want to offer us three things as we're moving into this season of Lent that I hope you can carry with you that I believe are found in this story. The first is this. The transfiguration, that encounter that God wants to have with each one of us to reveal his true self to us, just as Jesus did with those disciples, transfiguration leads to repentance. Repentance is a word that you're going to hear Wednesday night on Ash Wednesday, and you're going to hear it all through Lent. And repentance is so much more than if I just did something wrong to Doug, and I say, I'm sorry, Doug. Repentance moves far beyond an apology. Repentance is a complete reorientation to life. It's a fundamentally different way of interacting with the world and with God. It's a complete change of lifestyle and direction. That's what we're called to do. We're reminded of it especially during Lent, but that is what an encounter with Jesus should lead to for any one of us is a total awareness of our fragility and our frailty, of our shortcoming and our sin, which then leads to repentance. Confessing, going beyond saying we're sorry, and actually living as if we are truly sorry. Transfiguration leads to repentance. Transfiguration secondly leads to worship. What's Peter's first inclination when he sees Jesus for exactly who he is? It's to stop and worship. By commemorating that event, Peter's entering into an act of worship. He wants to worship. And notice how he's not chastised for that. He's just interrupted by the voice from the cloud telling him to listen to Jesus. As a moment of worship. When we realize who Jesus is, all he's done for us, that should lead first to repentance and then to worship. See, friends, worship is putting into practice repentance. That's what it is. Worship is simply this. Let's not mystify worship or make it more complicated than it is. Worship is all, can be defined in this way, it is what you give your very best self to. What you give your very best self to. Every day, each one of us, you and me, we're worshiping something. By what we say and by what we do, by our commitments with our time and our energy and our health, we are indicating what we hold as the highest good and value in our lives. Is that Jesus or is it something else? And over and again in the Gospels, we're reminded that we can't have it both ways. We can't give our very best to Jesus and then give our very best to someone or something else. Worship causes us to grapple with that question. To whom or to what are we giving our very, very best? That thing or that person then is the object of our worship. An encounter with Jesus should lead us into worship. In other words, it should lead us to offering to Jesus our very very best. So transfiguration an encounter with Jesus leads to repentance and then to worship and then finally it leads to action. What did Jesus and the disciples do? Do they stay on that mountaintop forever? No. They go back down the mountain. And just after where Steve left off in our gospel reading, Jesus immediately encounters a man who is terrified and stricken with grief and fear because his son is ill and Jesus heals him. I think in this story we see this model that a lifestyle that leads to repentance and then worship then leads to action in the world. Jesus and the disciples don't stay on the mountain forever. And that may be tempting to us. We want to stay in our nice, fuzzy, warm church where we get our warm feelings and where we worship. And those are all good things. But when we leave this place, when we go out into the world, and when we encounter people who are hurting, who are desperate, who are ravaged by addiction and fear and anxiety... Do we go in the strength and the power of Jesus to meet their need? An encounter with Jesus should lead to action. Action in the world. Because friends, most people in our world, you and me included, we don't live on that mountaintop. Life isn't that way. Oh, it may be tempting to try to take the very best, to try to take our... Sublime encounters with Jesus and and hold on to it and commemorate it. But friend, life moves on. Jesus comes to us in moments and we find that that is just enough to carry us through our next difficulty. To carry us through our next need. To carry us through meeting a person who needs a word from God that God wants to speak through us. Transfiguration leads to action. Friends, each one of us, I believe, has a need to repent. We all do. All of us carry things that, if we're honest with God and with ourselves, and maybe even with each other, we know that we should let go of. We know that they are not God's will for us, that it does not lead to our flourishing. All of us have need to repent. And when we encounter Jesus for who he is, that should be our first response, is to repent. It should be just as Isaiah, when he encountered God's divinity, he said, woe is me. I'm a person of unclean lips. And then after we repent, it leads to worship, to giving our very best, to the one who gave his very best to and for us. And then it leads to action. We put into practice the things to which our worship leads us and teaches us and changes us. And that is to be God's hands and feet in the world. To go down off the mountaintop into the valley where most of humanity lives. To love them. To allow God to love them through us, to do his work in the world. Friends, here as we stand at the beginning of the season of Lent, as it's almost upon us, may you have 40 intentional days of meeting Jesus, of encountering him in a real transformative way it will bear fruit in your life and in your life in the world
0: amen, amen.